Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Everyone, this is Rohit from Rise to Mastery, and I'm excited to have Ashley Fulkas, uh, who's partner at U.S. Immigration Fund, a real estate finance fund with approximately three billion dollars um, AUM, and uh, she's an investor in hundred plus startups. Uh, she's a, a general partner in Fulkas Ventures and done a bachelor's from Duke and doctor of law from Harvard Law School. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, you know, uh, uh, you uh, you've been uh, in, into into legal industry, and uh, you also in uh you know invested into into a lot of startups how did you get your interest investing into into angels uh, into startups yeah so so my interest in it preceded my activity by probably like 7 years actually um i i always knew that i actually never wanted kind of law to be my primary focus but i thought it was something that i'd be reasonably good at and that um i'd have an opportunity to kind of be in the room and and be a participant around deals and kind of figure out just what it is within the investment space that i wanted to do um so i remember i just started uh working in london as as a capital markets lawyer and i actually read a book uh it was called the monk and the riddle uh by randy komisar and it talked about uh kind of his trajectory uh i believe if i'm remembering the story correctly starting out as a potential lawyer Uh, and then kind of seeing that that wasn't the path for him, and seeing how kind of linear the progression of law can be as a discipline, even if you make it to the top, and how he kind of wanted to chart his own course and and do something different, and that really resonated with me. Uh, and what he ended up doing was a, a number of things uh, within kind of tech uh, in the startup uh, ecosystem, and I'm like, that's that this is like click, that's exactly it. This is what I ultimately want to do. no idea how I'll get there I had no exposure to tech no friends who worked in it anything didn't even know that was a viable real career path really but it just stuck on the uh, the back of my head and I continued on my capital markets path and obviously ultimately uh in 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 real estate uh but um like I said from from when I read that it was just about 7 years later because it was sometime mid to late uh 2018 that I decided I'm going to I'm going to figure this thing out and moreover I've got to figure this thing out starting from ground zero <laughs> with no with no contact and doing it from Florida because at the time I had um relocated from London to South Florida uh and I was like and virtually because I I have a a full-time career I can't you know be running back and forth to to Silicon Valley uh but that was a time frame and kind of the inspiration for it uh and i spent a lot of time uh kind of researching trying to figure things out um obviously had some comfort in the space as a capital markets lawyer in terms of some of the lingo and and, and uh kind of the nuts and bolts uh but then you know stumbled across uh angelist and some various communities uh and that was kind of the launch pad to to get to to where i am now interesting and you know you you pointed out a couple of interesting things and you know you still are based out of florida uh, mm-hmm. in in palm beach uh do, do you think uh you know uh, uh during these times during the times of covid uh, entrepreneurs can build you know world class companies out of anywhere i mean do mm-hmm. do companies really need to be in silicon valley or in important uh, ecosystems 
That's a great question. And because and people all the time, actually, now that, you know, Florida has, you know, kind of been buzzing a little bit with some of the funds and, and companies and, and founders who have come down here, like, what is the ecosystem like? And, it, and it's still very much, uh, you know, burgeoning. I mean, I, I used to say that Florida is an oasis of capital and a desert of deals, uh, just because like, there, there are people here, there's a lot of money, but the mentality, a lot of people are in real estate or PE or other things, not quite, not quite venture. Um, but I think there's an opportunity uh, to, 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 to have, I think, you know, this distributed world as we've kind of seen because people have had no choice but to adjust and see that the world has gone on, you know, deal volume is, is approaching records, dollars are flowing, and people are doing it in Zoom or people are doing it in cities outside of the valley. So I think it's entirely possible. Uh, what I will say is, you know, the difficulty, you know, the one thing that, you know, California as a whole has over anywhere else is the university system. Uh, so in terms of the, the founders that you're breeding, the, the talent, um, you know, that that part might be hard to replicate. Uh, but, you know, one of my favorite things about things going virtual and as somebody who started out virtual before it was cool is that it also democratizes things. So on one hand, we might be thinking, oh, you're leaving California in this ecosystem. But if you're if we're going virtual and now everyone in the world potentially has a chance to participate, to potentially found a company, to put together teams and distributed teams, um, th then you might then you might actually breed more founders out of the Cal out of than out of California. And it might not just be that there's something just so special about California in terms of that being uh, an ecosystem now that opportunity. Uh, is being democratized. And, and uh, you know, you, you talked about uh, capital being uh, accessible for, for startups. Do you, do you think there's an oversupply of capital, especially in pre-seed and seed stage? It's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think of like, when I, when I first started my syndicate uh, and then a bit before, for, so thinking of like, for example, like March of March, April of 2020, you could virtually get into any deal <laughs> that, that you wanted if you weren't afraid to invest, which is why I was excited because I kind of see, you know, trouble as, 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 as opportunity. I think that's always panned out historically. Then you started to see things kind of pick up over the summer. And now it's like, it's just outright frothy, super competitive. I know I've read you know, tons of articles over the past week or so about all of these, you know, mega powerhouse VCs that are raising seed funds. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting trying to find arbitrage, trying to get into opportunities uh, early because uh, there's there's a lot of money now to throw up at founders at an even earlier stage um, than you're used to, um, you know, those folks competing on. And, you know, you mentioned about AngelList, where you, you started uh, your syndicate. Uh, you know, what are some of the pros of having, uh, you know, AngelList as a, as a platform? Or did you also look at, you know, doing offline deals? Uh, what, what, what has been your experience using AngelList? Yeah, so, I mean, anybody who knows me knows I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of AngelList. And, you know, kind of but for that platform, I don't know how I could have started, you know, Going doing this from a virtual standpoint before everyone else went virtual with, 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 without that and being able to meet the people that I have. I mean, the pros uh, of, of, of AngelList are, uh, I mean, the back end is, is just phenomenal. And so someone like myself who, 
who has a whole different career, has a whole different other set of things to focus on. I need a back-end service provider that can take care of, you know, the bulk of the details. And so, um, you know, it's a pretty seamless experience launching a deal and AngelList is taking care of documentation, wire, closing. Um, it's, it's pretty easy as far as investor communications, updates, like it's all pretty seamless with their back-end. And then not to mention, obviously, AngelList doubles as a marketplace, meaning you can meet investors that you would not be able to otherwise meet at all, let alone, you know, interact with or potentially uh, have invest with you, uh, you know, folks, uh, a lot of folks um, in, a, in a very short period of time, depending on how you grow about growing your syndicate. So for me, um, having a syndicate of about 1,100 people, there, there's no way that I can possibly, and maybe even in my lifetime, met that many people uh, let alone, uh, you know, getting people to actually actually invest and then do it in such a compressed time frame. But for something like AngelList, which has this marketplace for investors, and then also something that allows you to build publicly. Right, and uh, you know, uh, you, you've talked about eleven hundred uh, LPs who are backing uh, your syndicate. I think we 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 did this summit session a couple of months back, and I think uh, you know, the the number of back, backers have definitely gone up. Uh, you know, um, I wanted to understand, you know, what is what are some of the best strategies syndicate uh, could use to get more LPs uh, to to back them, and what what does the composition uh, look like? Does Angelist share, you know, where are the LPs based out of, and what is the composition for them? Yeah, so there there's uh, there's a couple of different ways to to go about it. Um, you know, it, it, doing it manually in terms of one on one on one outreach uh, to scale it is very difficult unless you're somebody who's already coming from a, a vast network. Maybe because you have a big social media following, or you're already part of Angelus networks, or maybe you've been informally syndicating offline, and you can kind of convert that that over to Angelus or have those those outlets to kind of promote yourself and, and let people know what you're doing. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of key ways to build that syndicate following are typically partnering with other established syndicates uh, who have an established LP base and collaborating on deals as you're a new GP. Uh, and then hopefully as their folks in, invest and review their deals there and, uh, you know, you kind of have that halo from the from that GP they're inclined to apply for your syndicate as well. And that can help you build um, an, an LP backing. And for me, that was pretty instrumental early on for reaching a critical mass of LPs, uh, literally within within weeks. Um, and, and part of that, uh, what also happened at the same time is, you know, to your question about what does Angelus do? So Angelus is not gonna do anything to actively promote or drive LPs to you. you like you, you've got to grind and do it yourself. Uh, but there are a couple of things that blend itself to, to gathering LPs besides co-syndication within the Angelus uh, ecosystem. Number one, if you're doing good deals um, at a decent cadence, uh, as folks look for new syndicates to apply to, one, you'll be, you might be shown as having an active deal, or just when people are looking for new syndicates in general, you'll appear higher up because you're a, you know, an, an active, um, you're an active syndicate. 
Um, beyond that, um, if you have a deal in AngelList uh, Access Fund uh, invest, which is you know AngelList own funds where they can co-invest alongside or, or co-invest and invest in your deals, um, then you have access potentially to their private client network. Uh, and you might be able to procure LPs who AngelList shares to deal with them. They invest, uh, and then they can become a part of your syndicate uh, as well if they if they so choose to apply. So for me, uh, it was kind of those two factors. I had a few early deals where AngelList Access Fund also invested. Uh, I worked with um, a really great syndicate early on, uh, and then that helped me build up a, a pretty solid base. And so from there, then that's when I did a bit more like, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more on the promotion front, going on your podcast, doing a few others, doing some blogs, doing some interviews. Um, and then I think, you know, like it's like a flywheel, right? Your reputation grows. And so folks like, you know, share, hey, I can apply. I want to join your syndicate. Such and such said this was a good syndicate to join. Um, and it just grows and grows uh, for, from there. Um, and it's kind of up to you how much you want to ju- uh, kind of juice it from there. So obviously you could continue to work with um, different syndicates, get exposures to different LP bases as, as much or as little as you want. I didn't kind of hit the uh, hit the gas on doing that a lot. I haven't um, beyond that first deal. I think I've done it you know once or twice because I kind of got to that critical mass of LPs uh, quickly. Uh, though I'm, I'm not I'm not against it, and I've seen some folks who. Um, they kind of hit the gas early and, you know, their first 10, 12 deals, it was all working with other syndicates, uh, which allowed them to build up, you know, um, you know comparable syndicates uh, on a fast timeline as well. So, Interesting. I think uh, co-syndicating deals has been, uh, you know, one of the important ways where you've been able to grow your LP base. And, uh, you know, uh, what is the average uh, deal size for, for your syndicated investments and how how active... Uh, mm-hmm. um, most of the you know LP base or, or the eleven hundred uh, base you have. So I'll take those in in reverse order. The the statistics are a little imperfect, right? Because when you co syndicate a deal, which uh, accounts for a decent amount of the deals that I do, meaning there's another lead who's running the deal, it's their deal page. None of those statistics count towards my statistics. So I only know my specific deal that I ran and relative to the my LPs that invested in the deal that I ran. So um, with that said, out of those 1,100, I think I have like 500 or so unique LPs, meaning people who've actually you know written checks. I don't know what the real number is, right? Because it's possible, I don't know how much more, but there could be another 100 or 200 people who didn't necessarily invest in, haven't yet invested in one of my primary deals, but may have invested in a deal that I ran with another syndicate. And I have no information, uh, kind of window into that. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. As far as um, average check size, that's obviously driven by your allocation um, and then, you know, how much you raise. And so for me, I think right now I'm at an average of of 175 um, and, 
that is, you know, sometimes I can't get more than eighty to a hundred thousand dollars, so that impacts your average. And then sometimes the founder is flexible, and I have free range to kind of, you know, raise, uh, you know, you know, half a million, maybe more, uh, depending on how big the round is. But on average, um, what I've done um, has been one seventy five. I separately track uh, co-syndications, like just through a spreadsheet, because I know obviously when I write a deal with another lead, how much more capital we're, we're raising. And so when co-syndications, which makes sense, right, you're, you're bringing in the power of, of two syndicates. So that number is usually going to be higher unless you guys are capped in a small allocation. So factoring in co-syndication, that, that's when I probably get closer to like, Three three fifty on average because we're bringing in the power of, of two syndicates uh, uh, on those deals. Interesting, and uh, you know, uh, how do you make sure that there's a high chance of closing on a syndicate deal? Because uh, you would have spoken to a founder, but have there been any instances where you, you know you've not been able to uh, close on a syndicate, and does it really affect your relationship uh, with the founder and with other syndicates? Yeah, one thing about you know nine out of ten deals are going to go are going to go smoothly, but you know candidly, if you're in this world, they're always going to be they're going to be curveballs periodically, and you have to learn how to adapt. So that could be you lose allocation because a huge VC comes in, and maybe your relationship with the founder wasn't what you thought it was. If if that happens. Or you think you have allocation and it gets significantly paired back again, maybe because other folks come in, um, and or you know di- just di- just different things like that that may arise. Or you thought you were investing on X terms, but things change and now that you know they got another term sheet and they're going to go with that higher term sheet and you already raised capital at X valuation. Um, but my my own view is, you know, folks are, are pretty reasonable, and the, and the most important thing is to just be be transparent. And when you have material information, share it. And so, you know, from from that perspective, um, I, I think it's always fine. And so, if there's ever any type of situation that crops up with that, I'm just like open kimono and just uh, you know fully fully disclose like this is what's happening. This is why. And then, you know, do you still want to continue in light of A, B, and C? Uh, and folks are generally pretty reasonable. I mean, I think they understand, you know, syndicate leads are, 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 are working hard, doing their best. They, they want the deal to happen just exactly uh, as they thought it would, but that is life and that is this world that this is, this is dynamic and things can change. So, you're working hard, you're bringing good deals, and you're open and honest about what, what happens if there's any shift. Um, I think usually you're fine. And, and uh, you know, what, what is your goal of how many syndicate, how many, uh, you know, uh, deals would you want to syndicate in a month? Uh, I know this has been a busy month for you because of Y Combinator, but uh, ideally, do you, do you set on such goals uh, at the start of the year that you would like to syndicate so many deals uh, in the entire year? I try not to focus on it that way in terms of number of deals or or number of dollars because then I think that can create uh, if you're if you're trying to just hit those numbers then I think that might uh, you know impact deal quality or how you're going about selecting deals um, versus it's just so happened that that's kind of been my cadence of three to five but if I had a month where there was 10 and two months where there were zero, that would just be, that would be just as fine, you know, for me. Um, I guess it just kind of worked out, out that way just based on the sheer volume of deals that, that, that 
I'm seeing and then kind of the, the, the hit rate from that. But I don't I don't set out to say I need to raise X amount of dollars uh, or I need to hit X amount of deals. It's just for me, just really about are, are they quality deals that check all the boxes for me? And then I don't focus too much on volume or, or, or lack thereof. Um, but I'll do a self check on myself to make sure like, um, you know, outside of kind of the YC context where you're seeing 300 company, good companies at once to evaluate. So volume might be a bit high, but if I, if I'm feeling like volume is getting high, I mean, I'll try to check myself and, and say, what is the re- what is the reason for that? And making sure it's because I'm just lucky right now that I'm getting, you know, great deals that I genuinely, uh, you know, believe in versus trying to hit any uh, imaginary target. Right. And, and do you also look at uh, leading around, uh, especially in pre-seed and seed stage? So that's, that's interesting. Um, and there are certainly some smaller rounds where, you know, the power of the, the, the network is such where, uh, where theoretically I could. Um, and I've definitely had several, um, several deals where, you know, I hit the major investment threshold or was one of the larger checks, you know, kind of those deals were, you know, put in like half a million plus. Um, it's not something that I specifically set out to do. Um, it's 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 uh, you know really humbling to be able to potentially have that capability if it's a if it's a smaller um, you know size round. But uh, you know it, it's not something that I've set out to do to date. Right. And uh, are you uh, still state sector and geography agnostic uh, when it comes to syndicating deals? Largely, and 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 there's a few things that I that I haven't invested in or haven't invested much of, but I can always be made a liar. So I always say never say never. You kind of have your favorites, but I am generally um, open for sure with respect to geography. Um, so I've got you know deals 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 all over, and actually particularly love emerging markets. Um, from a stage standpoint, um, even though I'm an angel, I don't tend to do a lot of pre-seed, at least not as a um, I've done some pre-seed where I come in as a personal um, check. And and part of that is, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I, just in terms of presenting it to the group, it's not it's not just I have a platform. I like a deal. Let's see what kind of money I can get. I, I want to put it to them in a in a form where there's enough traction, where there's enough going on, uh, that that it makes sense for them. And I have to think from the perspective of an LP uh, who doesn't necessarily have all the information that I have or knows the team as well as I could. Uh, no matter how much I describe it, does this make sense for them this early? So. I've rarely, I think I've done two pre-seed deals that I that I co-syndicated where other people were the leads, but rarely do pre-seed. But after that, kind of all bets are off, though I think the overwhelming majority of my deals are kind of seed A, but I've definitely done, you know, B, C, D, even. Got it. And uh, 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 how, how do you do your due diligence on startups, especially from emerging markets? Uh uh, do you do you focus on co-syndicating with other syndicates, or you know how, how does the due diligence happen there? I'm sorry. Uh, do you said due diligence? Yeah. So it, that very much depends. Uh, you know, kind of on you know, like I said, sector, geography, all of those things can be a factor. So again, having a capital markets uh, background, we're kind of regardless of um, and, and having practice cross border with capital markets. Um, there's there's 
as far as reviewing diligence documents, data rooms, that's where I'm comfortable. That's what I did as a lawyer and a, you know, contracts, contracts are contracts is a contract is a contract kind of thing. Um, and, you know, financials are financials. Um, so I, I typically feel comfortable uh, in, in most things. But if there's something very, you know, very specific, um, you know, one of the benefits of being a part of um, angel, different angel communities and, and networking within that is that you get to learn, learn and meet people who are truly maybe um, sector experts. So I'm definitely not shy about tapping folks, including my own syndicate members. Like most syndicate members will at some point reach out and raise their hand and say, hey, here's what I can help with. And I'll remember that if it's something that I know, yeah, that is an area that I can extra help with and diligence and I'm not shy about um, getting help with that and same thing uh, I'd like to say I don't co-syndicate much where I'm the primary lead but I've definitely brought in uh, some folk, uh, folks uh, a couple of times where I'm like I feel like I could use a second set of eyes maybe because this this lead I know from what they do outside of annual investing they just have deep sector expertise and that would help me and also help the companies as well so bring in folks that way um, and then from the geography standpoint, um, you know, for, for, for sure, because, you know, at the end of the day, I get excited about investing in India, Pakistan, wherever, but I'm not, you know, I don't have the local understanding, the cultural understanding, um, but I do know plenty of investors who I really respect who do. Um, and so I'll never do a deal outside of, the, you know, in certain geographies where if I don't run it by someone that can again give me that that local perspective of why this works or or, or why that or why it doesn't. Right, and uh, when you're investing in into uh, you know emerging markets, especially Latin and Asia, uh, does it uh, does it really matter that you know you uh, invest along with a with a really big. Uh, uh, fund like like Sequoia Capital uh, because it, it does really affect uh, the people that you know uh, a bigger fund is coming in. But uh, how, do you do you also look at uh, you know do you, do you avoid looking at you know looking uh, looking at other bigger funds coming in and syndic and being on that particular deal? Hmm. So that's a great question. Um, I I do if if I think about it, I probably at least with, with emerging markets, I don't know that I've ever done a deal that didn't have either great U.S. funds on board or some of the better regional funds who I respect and can look at their portfolio and know they have a, a pulse on what's going on with the region. Um, and I think that is is arguably uh, even a little bit more important than, than the U.S., uh, than, than what I do on the U.S. side, because I was like, again, I'm, I'm learning more and more about these regions as I invest, but there's still no substitute for on-the-ground knowledge being in a market. So when you have that signal um, from folks who, who deeply understand the market, the competitive dynamics, the local cultural dynamics, um, you know, everything's risky, but that that is a de-risking element for me. Um, and I feel more comfortable sharing that opportunity uh, with, with my with my syndicate when I know um, there, there's other folks who have that local knowledge on board. So, um, yeah, I was like, it's not, not likely that uh, that uh, and, and that could be super angels as well. So, for example, I, I've done like early LATAM and like the founders of Rappi are in and, and and smart family offices. And I'm like, okay, I know these folks are, are, are smart as well, in addition to my diligence and in addition to folks I've talked to at a, a local level. And so I can appreciate that. But, you know, you know, first money in, in a deal 
somewhere outside of the U.S. Uh, and I don't have much to go on, I, I'm, that's probably not going to be for me, or at least not what I'm going to offer to other folks. Got it. And uh, do, do you, how do you, how do you analyze, you know, on the, the trial of uh, people, uh, product and market? Do you, do you, do you look at, uh, you know, putting up a, uh, a percentage on, you know, what is, what is important uh, or do you just look at the team and, you know, decide on, uh, you know, betting on, on, on the particular startup? Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there's some, I guess there's some art and some, and some science there and people will tell you different things about, you know, it's early. So all you have to look at is team. And then some other people like to focus on different things. I think, as I told you in my, in my summer session, particularly if you're not investing insanely earlier and you are looking at that, that seed and later is I'm most kind of intrigued by distribution um, and, and go to market and, and innovations within that uh, things beyond just buying Facebook and Google ads. And, and, and that's kind of where I see my deepest insights kind of regardless of, uh, of, of some of the other factors. And then I can zoom out and, and look at, and look at some of the other things. And, you know, some of my, you know, you know, some of the times the better investments are, you know, or I made, uh, I think some pretty good investments where I myself am just an LP investing in another syndicate, don't have an opportunity to meet the team. None of that stuff goes in, but I'm able to kind of be a little colder in the analytics of it and, and, and have had some, you know, good success that way. Um, but it, you do it enough, you see enough, you see enough deals that, uh, for at least for me anyway, it become a little bit more art than science. But I know the things um, that that I'm looking for, and it's not it's not a formula, right? Of I've got ten boxes to check, and if they if they check seven out of ten, it's a deal that I do um, because you still like how you weight them or, or what makes sense in the moment. Um, all, all matters. So I still look at things holistically and, and then have my favorites. But like I said, one of the most important things for me is what have you nailed down with distribution? Because bad product, great distribution can still be a great outcome. Great product, bad distribution is a bad outcome. Uh, and if you can get both, well, then, yeah, <laughs> then, you're, then you're out to the races. Do I have an interesting stat for you? Did you note that the founder of Beautiful Lives Increase the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, it's important to have you know the right distribution product. And uh, you know, since you're working full-time uh, with a fund and you uh, you know, uh, angel investing is something you do on the on the side. How how do you manage to have the balance? Uh, because you know, uh, with a full time gig, it becomes really difficult to manage both of the things. Uh, what really works out for you? Yeah. So this this will be. I'll I'll be interested to see how I answer this question like six months from now. But uh, you know, it it was different when I was just doing kind of direct personal checks or investing via other syndicates because you know, that, that's not the level of, of involvement as when you're running, as you're running a deal. And the reality is my kind of aha moment was around COVID uh, where I'm like, okay, the world's going virtual. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have a lot more time on my hand because all the other passions that I pursued, travel, that kind of thing, not really going to be able to do it. And I kind of threw myself into to building this. Um, but I like to think that 
I've done a, a lot of the heavy lifting on the syndicate side to build the syndicate up, to build the following, uh, to, to build, you know, channels for, for, for getting deals um, that it, it's becoming more and more efficient. Uh, and so I'm, I'm all about efficiency. I'm all about kind of uh, productivity over activity uh, and just getting things more efficient. But the, the reality is, um, you know, it's like, you know, it's nights, it's weekends, it's fitting in things uh, when you can, but you do it more over time and you just become more and more efficient. Um, but you know, the other side of things, what, what's kind of what I alluded to earlier, right now, uh, in, uh, besides besides work, angel investing doesn't really have anything to compete with because there are other facets of my life that have kind of been put uh, on hold, but we'll see how it all balances in the, in the coming months. And there, there are things to think through. Like, I mean, I know syndicates who are really kind of professionalizing things and bring in, bring in partners, bring in associates, bring in people to help with the, 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 the heavy lifting. And so I think it's kind of on you how involved you want to be. And then, you know, the beauty of a, of a syndicate is it's as much or as little as you want. If you're super busy and you can't run X amount of deals, you don't, you don't have to. It's up to you to dial it up or, or dial it down. Um, and there are other things you could do. You could, um, you know, I've had situations where I'm just so slammed. I love the deal. I don't have the time to run it. And I refer it to a trusted partner, for example. So it, it's kind of up to you to modulate how active you want to be or not uh, and how much you want to kind of professionalize it or get help or, or bring in other resources. Uh, for me, I've kind of been mostly a one-woman band because I just think kind of like building anything, right, is like, I want to understand it, soup to nuts, everything that can go right, everything that can go wrong, everything that goes into the process um, for me to be the best at it before I can think about kind of going to different levels that other folks have, have taken their syndicates. And, and absolutely, this is uh, very interesting. And uh, uh, what is the future for, you know, uh, for you? Are you looking at building a rolling fund or is it, are you going to look at creating a full, uh, you know, a VC fund uh, going forward? Yeah, so it's a great question. Uh, I, it's probably one that I answer five days a week. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm still not sure yet. I do think the the rolling front product is pretty interesting. And I can say, uh, particularly um, in a competitive process, so something like Y Combinator, um, it would have been significantly easier if I had some captive capital to leverage alongside the, the possibility of the syndicate just to be able to write checks quicker to, to get folks on board um, and, and get an environment where you need to close fast. Um, so that kind of made me think about it. Um, I mean, I, I guess the, it's a cop out, but I, I think with the rolling fund, I just kind of have to think uh, a, a bit more about, all right, actually devoting the time to think through it. And then um, again, I, you know, it's kind of like starting over again, uh, like with the syndicate thinking through LP acquisition. Yes, I have my syndicate. And some folks may choose to invest in the rolling fund and you could create incentives for them to invest in the rolling fund. Um, a lot of LPs do that. Um, but maybe I'm overthinking it. I, I still would want to, again, treat it as a different exercise, thinking of LP acquisition and think, okay, well, how do I expand beyond just that universe? And what is that? What does that look like? Uh, this is the way I think. And that's how I approach building the syndicate. And I would want to build the rolling fund a similar way. So um, it's it's food for thought. Um, just just have to decide yet. Um, and on the fun side of things, 
Um, you never know what, what can happen, but um, I, I really enjoy the syndicating like I, 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 I do. Um, and uh, I'm not in any rush uh, to, kind of, to kind of change uh, the current dynamics. I'm kind of a person who, you know, walks through open doors when they, when, when they open, but I'm not trying to push it. I just kind of like the question you asked of like, do I have to do X amount of deals or raise X? I was like, the syndicate uh, just allows me kind of, you know, ultimate uh, flexibility and I'm enjoying it. And, you know, there's obviously, there's some wonderful example of folks who started out syndicating and then go on to funds or go on to raise funds. And so it's a possibility, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not in any particular, particular rush. Um, and I think when the kind of right path uh, materializes, hopefully I'll be smart enough to recognize it, even if it just means the, the syndicate gets supercharged or if it means going kind of fun or rolling fun side. So we'll see. Very interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you've been part of a few, uh, uh, a few, uh, uh, associations like uh, you know uh, on deck and uh, China Angels and you know first round capital. I've, I'm also being part of the uh, on deck podcast fellowship. Uh, do you think uh, it's important to be part of associations? Uh, and you know, and what is the best way you know listeners if they are interested to get into mm-hmm. into Indian investing should which as- yeah. association should they look into? Yeah, I think um, whether it's those programs or you know other angel groups or different Slack channels, different communities, that that community is very important as an angel because think about as an as an angel, you're, unlike a fund, you don't have an army of people around you, an army of people around you to sense check you, to scout deals, to perform market research, to follow trends. You're one person trying to, you know, trying trying to accomplish all of those things, and it's really not possible for just one person to do it. I think it takes, you know, like a phrase, it takes a village. And so when you have other angels uh, in your corner, um, it just expands how much you're able to do. It helps you with diligence. It helps you with access to deal flow. Uh, it, it's a sanity check and it's it's a motivator that you see other people who are motivated doing the same thing and seeing that you're not in it uh, alone. And so um, I think that community is very important and it's a way to kind of hack some of the institutional knowledge when you're banded together with people you know and respect and, and you know, you maybe you're asking about a deal and maybe they've seen 10 other startups doing it, but you had it because your, your world is just your world, whatever you're siloed in. So um, I think whatever you can do to build networks or build community uh, as an angel it, it is critical, absolutely critical. Uh, and because, you know, I think as we maybe uh, discussed the last time around, um, I still believe uh, that no matter how smart you are, no matter how hard you work, annual investing is still about access, uh, that you have to have the, the Coinbase, the Robinhood, the whatever in front of you to actually invest. And just like with anything in life and business, you have to be invited to it. You have to have that access or someone who can get you access. And that's not just that's not just about being smart and working hard. Um, that's about community and networking. So that part has to be that part has to be an emphasis because you have to actually see the best deals. Now you might see great deals in past and that's that's another story. Uh, but you have to be you have to be in the room. You have to have a seat at the table. Uh, and I'm not sure how you can do that if you're not a part of some networks. Right. Yeah. I think uh, networks and uh, community is really important uh, in, in these times, especially during the times COVID where we're not meeting uh, 
people physically and uh, you, you know you travel is like one of your one of your passions you travel to more than 80 countries any uh, i know uh, you know you still still in florida right now but any uh, advice for people who would want to travel and you looking at they want to be a, like a global citizen once you know the lockdown opens up Yeah so yeah I I I definitely have the travel bug I mean I kind of had it a little bit when I was in school I took advantage of some opportunities but you know obviously it was still like a student trying to you know pay my pay my tuition and everything else like that but once I became a professional and started working from London um part of it is if you know obviously it's a privilege to travel in terms of having the, the capital to do so and the t- and the time to do so but also if if those things are taken care of it Uh, it usually is for a lot of folks who are at the position of angel investing or accredited investors. It's also about just kind of prioritizing it and understanding the benefits from it. So, you know, I was fortunate to start off working in London, and London is, you know, arguably the best place in the world to explore the world because of direct flights, uh, because of you know everything that's so close as far as Mina and and the rest of of Europe. And I just took advantage of it uh, and went as much. is is when it was as possible uh and for me uh you know besides that I just genuinely enjoy it travel um for me has been like truly transformative um and that I find like I can have a conversation with just about anybody just off of travel experiences it shaped my world view it's it's been like the best training for how to have conversations with with different people Um so even something you know I guess tying it back to angel investing um you know as you see from my portfolio I do have a number of deals outside of the US and in geographies where I don't have you know a, a vast experience I you know I didn't live and work there or that type of thing um but just that mindset of a traveler that mindset of being able to communicate with different people and different life experiences that mindset of doing de- deals across geographies that you know i feel very comfortable when i go to you know if i speak to a founder who's in 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 north africa or pakistan or uae or wherever because i just have that comfort in in interacting with people and understanding how the world works and and how it's connected and i think travel uh is the is the reason why having that exposure that exposure early got it and uh, you know i quickly want to do the top 3 what's your favorite business book my favorite business book Um I mean it's probably the one that I you know that I alluded to at the at the top of the chat which is what started it for me uh as far as my interest in venture which is the monk and the riddle uh by Randy Komisar. Got it we'll put that in the show notes and you know if you could go back in time when you started angel investing what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? The one thing that I would have focused on um they were kind of more technical things i think um you know what i would have i would have done a bit more in the beginning uh to actually get some focus around check size uh because when i started invest when you first started investing you maybe have no appreciation for the volume of deals that you're going to see and how much capital you need to save all of that and so i was just kind of like all right you know and not really thinking much about it or being intentional or trying to standardize it um and i kind of wish i'd done that a bit more um i was fortunate to learn a powerful lesson pretty early which is well it's great to have signal while it's great to see other smart investors early on that in and of itself is it's not enough because smart investors are still wrong most of the time 
uh, and that you still have to have your conviction um, and you can't let that, you know, those folks participating kind of overrule your own, your own judgment. Um, and, and that includes signal from investors or even market signals because a, a, a particular segment is maybe really hot right now. And so you think like, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats and, and, it, and it doesn't always. But I think those are some lessons that I was able to 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 figure out pretty early on, um, thankfully. But the, the earlier you learn that, the better. Um, and then I think lastly, uh, and I'm not always perfect at it, um, but, you know, go back and, and, and something that I wish I'd done, you know, even earlier um, and try to continue to do is really kind of examine like where your biases are. Um, what are the things that make you super excited about a deal? What are the things that make you super low on a deal and understand where that where that's coming from? Because sometimes both of those emotions make you a bad and <laughs> make you a bad investor like you think you're really excited about it because oh yeah i had this problem at my company and this is it and that doesn't make it a great product doesn't make it you know a, a venture investment doesn't make it scalable same thing you might feel like you know a bunch about something and oh, i'm not really i'm uh, not really bullish about it that'll never work but kind of all the indicators are flashing that regardless of whether you like it they're they're on to something and so examining where, where that, where that bias is or, um, you know, challenging myself, eventually I did, but also kind of challenging myself to be more open-minded to the things that I didn't understand right off the bat in terms of products or, or categories. Now, like I said, I'm, I'm very generalist, but I think in the beginning, um, I was probably missed a few opportunities because I was playing it too safe. Um, like, oh, I understand consumer. I understand some fintechs and prop tech because of what I'm in. There were things in, in SaaS and aerospace and things that I had that were at my door. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, no, that's that's too out there. Um, but appreciating that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in no matter how much diligence you do, it's still an, an educated guess. And there's still not perfect information. Uh, and you can still be a really smart investor in things that you're not an expert in if you follow some of the those indicators or you learn to decode what makes startups successful. And, and you get that through experience. But yeah, I mean, those are all the things that would have been great to learn uh, early on. But I think hopefully I learned them uh, quickly enough and that will balance out. Yeah, I think a lot of interesting things like focusing on, on, on the check size and looking at your biases. Uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, uh, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Do I have any favorite what? Uh, online tool. Uh, yeah, so I, I also note that I'm like the least savvy uh, tech, least tech savvy tech investor. Uh, but I do um, like I, I think I just joined Slack like Q3 of last year, but it is it is it is a it is a good channel and I'm probably not on a ton, maybe like 10 channels so it doesn't get overwhelming, but um, that, that for sure is is pretty is pretty helpful. Um, and just figuring out the, the different uh, Slack and angel or excuse me, the different angel communities that are that are hosted. That's, a, that's, that's for sure a good tool. Um, I subscribe to a number of uh, newsletters because, again, like I said, as an angel, you're always fighting against the fact that you don't necessarily have this deep uh, institutional knowledge until you've been doing it a while. So I like to see, you know, based on what you see, what's getting funded, see what's exiting. And so I can I learn that way. So, you know, things like uh, term sheet or Axios Pro Rata, different things like that. Those are newsletters where you just, you know, high level 
these are the deals that publicly announced funding, who, who's in them, what, what sectors are they in, here's what's happening from an exit standpoint. And you get, start to really understand what's, what's happening, what's raising capital, get a better idea for competitive landscape because you're seeing what's out raising uh, capital. Got it. And uh, Ashley, what is the best, best way people can reach out to you with and know more about your syndicate? Uh, so uh, you can reach me a couple of ways um, via my website, which is just lucasvc.com. Uh, you can find me directly on LinkedIn as Ashley Lucas. Um, you can search me uh, via the AngelList platform. Uh, my syndicate is Lucas Ventures. Uh, or you can shoot me an email at ashley at lucasvc.com. I will we'll put, put that in the show notes. Uh, actually, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>